Romans chapter 6, and begin reading in verse 12 and through the end of the chapter. The word of the Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. What then? Are we to sin because we're not under law, but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin have become slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification." For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you were now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord, the word of the Lord. <clears throat> I have to remember as we're reading this, particularly this, this section, much of Romans is addressed to uh, non-believers that may be listening in, but this particular point is uh, written to and for Christians. So as you're, you're listening to this, don't, don't hear it as if this is, these are words to those people out there who, who have yet to hear. So we have to apply these truths to ourselves and um, not think that Paul is just writing to some unsaved sinners because these words are for us. But you also have to ask, well, is there an evangelistic message in this? Is there some message that would call the non-believers um, to himself? And, and indeed, yes, there is. And there's an evangelistic message also for us as we need to have the gospel preached to ourselves daily and constantly as well. But the results of believing the gospel are applied to us. And there is a gospel call for the unbeliever. And it's basically, <laughs> you are still in your trespasses and sin. You are still a slave to your sin. You, you get no good fruit from that. The only final result of sin is death. Death is earned by your sin. But in Christ Jesus, there is a fruit of righteousness which results in life. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved from the wrath and curse due to you from sin. For Christ became a curse on the cross so that the believers in him would not perish but have eternal life. So as believers we hear this and we should be encouraged and preach that back to ourselves when we need him to hold us fast, when we doubt our goodness or his goodness and we begin to struggle with darkness and tribulations. Um, this gospel is for us. So first, in verses 14 and 15, we're going to see that you are, you're not under 
law, you're not under the law, you are under grace. So let's just remind ourselves, 14 and 15 in verse 6. For sin will have no dominion. That word actually is where we get the word Lord from. So sin, sin will not lord itself over you. Sin will have no mastery over you is kind of maybe a way we might could look at this. Sin, sin will not be your master. It will not have mastery over you since you're not under law but under grace. What then are we to sin because we're not under law but under grace? By no means. So we have to remind ourselves, so what does it mean to be under the law? Because you're not under the law. And you may think, okay, well, that just means I'm not sinful. Well, Christ was born under the law. And so he was not sinful. So we need to see what that means. So if you'll hold your place here, and um, it's another letter of Paul, so they're all grouped together there, and go to Galatians, get past the larger letters of first and second Chronicles, and get to the GEPC, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Galatians chapter 4. Beginning in verse 3, so I'm just going to read 3 through 7, where we hear this truth and, and why it's true and what makes, why it's good for us. <clears throat> Galatians 4, 3. We also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. So you, hopefully you hear the same themes that Paul is saying in Galatians as we're hearing here in Romans, but that Jesus was born under the law so that we could be redeemed from the law, so that we are no longer under the law. So when Jesus was under law, he perfectly obeyed from the heart every single idea that the law had in and under and within it. Everything that the law nuanced, everything that the law said, because you know people would say, well, I've never broken the law. So, oh, you ever been angry at your brother? Then you committed murder. You ever lusted after somebody who's not your wife? You committed adultery. You know, it's these things. Jesus never did any of that. We can't even fathom what that must be like for him to never have even entertained within his heart an idea to sin. It was repulsive to him. So I would just say to you, well, I don't know if I want you to do this or not, but if you were at some point to think of the most repulsive sin you can think of, and then you think, well, there's law against that, and you're like, well, no problem there. Jesus saw the least little sin that we just sort of give away and say, you know, I can because I'm under grace and not under law, he saw it as utterly repulsive. So that's what he did under the law. And then he fulfilled it for us because he gave himself as a sacrifice in our place so that we are released from the law. Now there's much teaching that could take place in that, but that is the crux of what Christ did on the cross, is to, one, to release us from the penalty of the law so much so that Paul's ever able to say, you are not under the law. You're under grace. So, you know, that's grace being you deserve condemnation, but instead what you get is the goodness of God earned by Christ and extended to everyone who is in him by faith. 
So then, since we're not under the law, but under grace, then the natural question that would arise, and this is how we know we're tracking with Paul's theology, is because this causes this question, if preached properly, it causes this question to arrive, rise, which is, then are we to sin? Does grace make it okay to sin? Or does grace even encourage sin? And Paul's answer before I say anything else, lest I lead you astray, is no. Absolutely no. Not no, which in Greek means no, no, no. Double negatives are double, double, not undoes itself. That made no sense. You know what I mean? No, no, no. So are we just sin because we're under grace? If anybody asks you that, hey, is it okay to sin because we're under grace? No. However, let's make sure we understand the first five chapters of what Paul is talking about. Because Scott Leary pointed out to me last week, and I had missed it, is that you got to go all the way to chapter 6 before Paul tells us to do anything. And the first thing he says is, consider yourselves dead to sin. And what he's not saying is that he doesn't say in that, kill yourselves to sin. He says, no, reckon yourself like this. Just as you're going through your life, and hopefully you've been thinking about this since that sermon. I certainly have. It's like, okay, how's this supposed to apply? You know what? You're dead to sin. It's just one of these things you're supposed to think like because you are. But Paul is telling us, finally, because of justification by faith alone, because you are considered righteous only by your faith in Christ alone. Because of that, you are declared righteous. And he's already told us we are reconciled to God. All of that is who we are in Christ. And now we get to the point where he's going to say, let's talk about sin. And, and I do want to, because I want to, the reason I want to hit that absolute knot about sin is because I want to pause right here and I want to take just a, a moment, and I've, if you've known me long, you've heard me before, but I just want to illustrate from my personal experience the part, the first part of what Paul is telling us about not being under law but under grace. So I went to church growing up, different church. We moved around a good bit, so I'd go to church here, go to church there, and um, it was always it was Baptist churches, so you had to be voted on by the congregation. I remember being little, hoping, oh my goodness, what if the congregation says no? And uh, they always let us in because they didn't know any better. And they let us in, and then we become members there. And I'd be into it, you know, different levels you know, as, as I'm little and I'm getting older and things. But just in and out of churches, just because of my father was in textiles and we moved around so he could get advancements and things like that. <clears throat> but finally, as I got older, it was like I'd really get into church. I mean, like really, really into church. And then gradually, though, I'd kind of start to get where it's like, the message I was hearing, and I can't say this is what they were actually saying because I won't lay that on them, but what, what I was taking in was, you're a sinner. You are a sinner, which is quite true. You are a sinner. Now, do better, and God will love you more. Do better, and then you can serve in the church. Do better, and you'll be better. And God loves you. Do better. So I would do better. Man, I was excited. I was doing good. But I didn't live in the church sanctuary. I lived in the world. And my friends weren't necessarily living in the church sanctuary either. I won't blame them. Uh, 
I was the Eddie Haskell kind of kid, if you knew who that was. I was the one that all parents loved because I knew how to talk and act and was polite, but I don't know that I was necessarily one of the best kids. And I would realize that, and I'd be like, oh, goodness, I'm not good. I'm, I'm not doing better. And then just not go to church because I was blowing it. And it was only, you go and all I would hear is, you're a sinner, you're a sinner. And I was like, I know, I know, I know. And so just sort of would stop going when I was able to decide on my own. And then, you know, decided to start going again. Cyclical, cycle. Yeah, this is great. This is the Word of God. I love this. I'm going to church all the time. You're a sinner. You're a sinner. You're a sinner. I know, but I'm doing better. I'm doing better. You're a sinner. You're a sinner. I'm doing better. And then it's like, I recognize the fact that I'm not doing better. I'm actually not doing better. I've got a lot of sin in my life still, so I just you quit going. And this kind of carried on. And so finally, when I was in college, I'd visit churches from time to time. I, I always considered myself a Christian. There are times when somebody would say, you know, anyway, whatever. So I'm considering myself a Christian. And I'm going, and I believe I was. I think I was actually saved at the time. I think I was just in that far country, just sort of um, running from God in, in a lot of ways. And um, even when I was married, Amy would go to church, and sometimes I'd go with her. And um, at times I'd get excited about it, and then finally just not. So I got to where I didn't want to get out of bed in the morning, I had to go to church. And so I just said to Amy one day, I said, maybe we need to try another denomination. Now, that wasn't because I thought Baptists are bad. There's got to be somebody else out there that are better. It was just that, the fact that I had never been invited to church by anybody but Baptists, and that'll shut her up. Forgive me, children, for using that word. But I wouldn't be, it's like, what church are you going to go to? What other denomination are you going to go to? So I looked at all these other denominations. I didn't know. I figured they're all the same. They're not, but I figured they were. And then in the province of God, somebody invited me to go to Presbyterian Church. I was like, I mean, within a week. Did you arrange that? I didn't ever, okay. <laughs> it just dawned on me. Perhaps. But it was like within a week, we're invited to a different denomination, which is like unheard of. And so to our shame as Presbyterians, I hope you're inviting people to church, sharing the gospel with them so we can outdo them in, in trying to outdo one another in good works. And um, so I went, and I heard the gospel preached. And I'm not going to say that he was preaching it differently. I'm just going to say I heard it differently. So he's preaching Christ, preaching Christ, preaching Christ. And I, he wasn't preaching my sin. He's preaching Christ and grace, Christ and grace, Christ and grace. And I was going, I was absorbing it. I was getting it. And then it had all this predestination stuff. I didn't know what that was. I just knew it was bad. But, you know, you're just studying the word and studying it and going into it. And, and then finally understanding it's like God chose me. God loves me. God has adopted me into his family. I was getting the gospel. It's like I can't out grace. Cheer up, you're a lot worse than you think you are, and God's grace is far greater than you ever imagined. Even our tears of repentance have to be washed by the blood of Christ. You are not good enough. You are a sinner. You are a sinner. You are a sinner. Now, what? Give God the glory for your salvation. Give God the glory for grace. Give God the glory for all these things. That's different than do better. And so, I was... Every time the doors open, I'm at church. I'm doing this thing. This is awesome. I'm reading. I'm praying. I'm reading books upon books and just like, you know, studying and reading. Go. I mean, it's just all in a good way. This is all good. And so I was, I taught this class and I go to this class and um, at every there was something different about me. And they said, hey, what's making this difference? And, and I really wish that the first thing that came out of my mouth was Christ. But what I said was, it's okay to sin. And they were like, um, John, I think you might want to 
go back and figure out what church you're at because that's not good. And I was like, no, you don't understand. It's okay to sin. And that was like, that was the gospel to me at the time because what I had got, what I understood was justification by faith alone. I got it for the first time. I'd gotten it. That in this particular sense, I was freed because if I fail God, he doesn't fail me. If I sin against God, he still loves me. He doesn't unadopt me. He doesn't kick me to the street. He doesn't take his Holy Spirit away from me. He doesn't say, John, you were doing good there for a while, but guess what? You're going to have to go to the, I don't know, Buddhas or something because you ain't doing good here. You know, it's none of that. It wasn't you're the last kid picked for the team and I can't use you. It was you're my son. You're highly favored. You are in Christ. There's nothing you can do to stop me from loving you. There's nothing. I was like, oh my goodness, this is unbelievably awesome. What's made the difference, John? It's okay to sin. (laughs) It's like, in my perspective, in my life, the way I was looking at it, and I still think that's right in that limited, tiny way, is what had freed me to love the Lord and to serve the Lord was the fact that he did not base his relationship with me on my behavior. It was based on the behavior of Christ for me. And that was, I couldn't articulate it like that, but that was what it was. And that is what it is. And it can't go further than that because there's nothing further than that. And then the next, all right, what about this sin you're talking about? <laughs> you know, so I wasn't out there doing worse I wasn't like, hey, I can go rob banks at Liberty now. I can go beat up little children at Liberty. Well, I did teach Taekwondo. I might have done some of that. But I was just like, you know, I wasn't getting worse in my behavior. My behavior was getting better because of the firmness of the relationship. So it's, it's a, unless you know what I'm talking about internally, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But this is what grace does when the Holy Spirit is. But then you get. Next thing, which is, okay, so should we sin then? I mean, is that, that should have been their next question. If I ever run against this rabid, you know, new believer again that's out there in the cage phase, hollering stuff like this, it's okay to sin. I'm going to go, awesome, man, great. Tell me about that. And then say, so are you saying it's okay to sin? You know, because then it's got to be like, well, in what sense are you saying it's okay for us to sin? Because Paul right here is saying, no, you're missing something. But it's not you're missing what I was talking about at the first because he spent five chapters telling us that. You are, if you're in Christ, you are beloved. You are held fast. You, no one can snatch you. He drew you. He called you. All that the Father has given to me shall come to me and I will by no wise cast them out. You've got to cling to your justification. Then you can talk about your sanctification. Okay, so you got to know you are forgiven. You are secure in Christ now. Let's talk about living your life because you do still live your life. You are still faced with temptation and you can choose to say, hey, there's a temptation. I'm under grace. I think I'll just follow that temptation. And as a believer, you know that's not exactly how you should think, but at times it is because you still have things that you still struggle with. And what Paul just says to us is so the second point going here is so why not sin? Why not sin? And in verse 16 he says, do you not know that if you present that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are as slaves to the one whom you obey, either to sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. Now there are slaves and then there are slaves. There are slaves that people go and they would steal do man stealing, which was clearly 
um, condemned in the Old Testament. People would steal people and then sell them into slavery. Some people would steal their own people and sell them into slavery just to make money. We're, people that just were, were awful. <laughs> this is what would happen. But there's also this thing where you could sell yourself into slavery, where you could say, you know, I, I'm in terrible debt, but I will agree to work for you for this amount of time, and I'm that's like an indentured servant type thing. But there's, but they understood the word slave and master. You're giving up all your rights. You are, you are under the service of this master. So, it's, it's I was never in the military, but so I, I hesitate. To use, it's kind of like going to the military. I think military people might agree. It's like you're giving yourself up over to this. You're in it. And whatever they tell you to do, I mean, pretty much you're in it. There's not a whole lot of, hey, I'm going to ask you guys today, how many of you would like to go for a 10-mile run? Anybody? Anybody? I mean, apparently it's not like that. It's like, crack the whip, you're going to do it, and, and you're going to like it. So that's the way it is. You present yourselves to sin in that way, sin's going to crack it. And this is the believers. So why is it bad to sin? Because it'll get a hold on you. It's a snare of Satan, and it can produce terrible fruit in your lives. You know that. I mean, we still struggle with the flesh too much, to our shame. But if you give yourself over to these things, it will begin to rule your life in such a way that it just becomes habitual so that it doesn't take much temptation for you. You become the tempter. There's a comedian, what was his name? Flip Wilson. He used to always say, the devil made me do it. You know, that was his little line. The devil, he do something bad, the devil made me do it. And we might think that well, sometimes maybe the devil didn't make you do it. But he doesn't need a whole lot of help. I mean, pretty much our own sinful flesh carries us away. So we have to be careful about presenting ourselves. So Paul is saying, consider yourselves dead to sin. Don't give yourself to sin because that's going to end up, it can take mastery over you. And next thing you know, you're physically under this. You're still in Christ. But even as a believer, you can be so caught in a snare of Satan, the Bible says. So you have to be very careful of that kind of thing. And that leads to just corruption and nastiness and death. You know what sin does in your life. So, one, make sure you have justification, right? Who you are in Christ. And now it's like, so what about how I live my life? If you can get those two things straight in your mind, you get the first one right. Now we start talking about, about how do we live. And if you look at um, also... Just real quick, 1 Timothy is another one of Paul's letters. The, the T's are all in alphabetical and numeric order. 1 Timothy chapter 6. This is Paul writing to this younger man that he considers a son even. So 1 Timothy 6, 6. It's going to read through, through verse 12. Uh, godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation. Now, this is talking to believers. He's talking to Timothy. Timothy, you're a believer. Be careful here, man. I know you're in Christ. You're not falling out of the faith. But I'm just saying, be careful here, because if you desire to be rich, be careful of that. Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmless desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. That's one of my favorite verses that are, nobody ever quotes right. Money is not the root of all evil. Okay, that is a misquotation of scripture. Money is not the root of all evil. The love of money is the root of all 
kinds of evils. So you be careful of that. Keep your lives free of the love of money. Doesn't mean you can't use money. Doesn't mean money's not a good thing. Doesn't mean money's not necessary for certain things. But you fall in love with it, it's like the ring in Lord of the Rings. It's just going to do things through you. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness. Do we think about doing that? Pursuing righteousness? And I think sometimes, or and what about pursuing holiness? Because that just sounds kind of strange and makes you kind of an odd person. And that's because the world's gotten into us too much. Because what we're saying is, be like Jesus. Be like Christ. How was he? How did holiness look when he was a man and walked around and talked to people? Be like that. Jesus was pretty cool with people. It's a vernacular way of saying it, but it was. You know, but if people were standing opposed to him and opposed to God and trying to get in the way between the Holy Spirit and, and the people of God, he didn't play fools very well either. That's the kind of thing that, that got him angry. And so, but seeing sinners sin, it made him have compassion on them because he knew what was happening. And he saw the work of death. He weeps at the hearing of his friend Lazarus, seeing people weeping, seeing the results of death in his creation, and knowing that he's going to raise Lazarus. Still, Jesus wept. So we were to pursue the type of righteousness that Christ had. Pursue godliness, faith, pursue love, pursue steadfastness, and pursue gentleness. And that's one we can miss, but pursue gentleness. And then fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of eternal life for which you were called, about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. And then finally, in 2 Timothy 2, 24, just a couple verses here. <clears throat> the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God, perhaps, may grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. So this can be believers who have just gotten so far off track that they've been captured by the snare of Satan to do his will. They've fallen into this other master. And so what we're called to do is to say, brother, sister, do you not see... Yeah, we encourage one another. We, we call them out on in love. And, and hopefully we're, we don't, you, know, you don't have this big plank in your eye and you're going to people's little specks and there's not a hypocrite about all this stuff. But that what we do is we, out of love, we try to help people to see maybe where they're missing, that something's gone wrong in their life and they need to be called back. And so third, uh, how have we escaped sin's mastery over us? So back in Romans 6, verse 17, um, thanks be to God. It's got a but there. But thanks be to God that you, y'all, who were once slaves of sin, have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. Now, again, these are things that have happened to you as becoming a believer. So thanks be to God, you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart. So that's the only true obedience there is, is obedient from the heart. 
You can be outwardly obedient. That's, that's good to a point. But if you're not, like if your heart is far from God, I, I do things, it's like your parents are telling you to take out the trash, but inside you're like, I hate them, I hate them, I hate them. Yeah, you're obedient, but you're not quite obedient from the heart. I mean, your heart, husbands, your heart has to want to clean the house for it to be truly a good work. I don't know. That's maybe one of the last steps of sanctification. But obedience has to be from the heart. If it's not from the heart, you just become resentful. You just become, I mean, it's better to be outwardly obedient than to be outwardly disobedient. It's like, if my heart's not in it, I'm not going to do it. No, do it until your heart joins along. I don't know where we're talking about. But Christian obedience is going to come from this regenerated, born again, the Holy Spirit working within you, over time, dying more and more to sin, living more and more to righteousness, uh, understanding your failure, understanding God's grace, all these things that happen in our lives in order to make us obedient from the heart. So what's supposed to happen in our initial uh, regeneration. We come to faith, we're growing in the Lord, that He's working in our hearts. But look what it says, He's obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. So, just, just it could be a whole book written on standard of teaching. The word is typos, which means type or form. It's a doctrine. It, it's, it's, it, it, can, it holds the truths of the gospel. You have, you have been committed to it. Or, so let me just, <laughs> so I knew this was going to be a little tricky to explain. The embodiment of the teaching is what he's been Faithful, but they have been faithful from the heart too. The doctrine. These are faiths about Christianity. This is theology. So early Christianity wasn't all about the heart and just emotion. And it wasn't just all about teaching and doctrine. It was about loving the truths of God. Like you have to worship in spirit and in truth. You, you can love God and be completely wrong about who God is and you're worshiping an idol. Or you can know everything there is to know about God and it just means nothing to you other than I can write some academic books or give some lectures or something and it's no good for your salvation. It is knowing the truths of God and loving the truths of God is what happens in a believer's heart. And we can learn more about him and that makes us love him more. So you get caught up into that cycle of doxology and and theology where, you know, the things we know about God make us love Him more. The more we love Him, the more I want to know about Him. And the more I know about Him, the more I love Him. And the more I love Him, the more I want to know. It just ends. And so it never ends. It just continues to get better and better. Now, you may have dated a person that you were in love with, and you find out more about them, and you love them more, and you find out a little more about them, and it's like, eh. And then the more you find out, it's like, okay, you got to be careful. And I think some people are afraid that if they dig too deep with God, they're going to find things they don't like, and that's going to be a problem for them. But that's a lack of faith. The deeper you go with God in your trials, in your worship, in your everything, the more God will reveal himself to you as lovable. And so that's something that, that we're to be transformed by this teaching. And also this word that it says, it says this teach, standard of teaching to which you were um, committed. It, it, the way that's worded kind of misses a little bit. And I look several different translations in the Greek behind it. And so what it's really saying here is the doctrine to which you were delivered. It wasn't the teaching that was delivered to you or you committed yourself to it. It committed itself to you. It, you were given over to it. That this teaching ends up 
taking a hold of you and, and you're given over to the teaching. And that's what's happening. That doctrine is usually handed over to a hearer, but here the hearer is handed over to this doctrine. We've been handed over to the gospel and then we are transformed by keeping the truths and learning more of the truths of God's word and having been committed to this teaching as well. It's the gospel that transforms people from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of God's marvelous light. And then 19 through 22 just talks about your slaves to righteousness or your slaves to God. And he says, I'm speaking in human terms. And what he means by that is this is an imperfect analogy, but it's a, an analogy that I'm going to use because it works. But where he says it falls short is God is not a bad taskmaster. He says, Take my yoke upon you. My, my, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. He's not a master that's like, you will do what I say. And if you don't do it, you're going to get whippings. And that's the way a lot of people look at God the Father. You know, maybe you had a father like that. You know, so you know that's bad father. How do you know that? Because there's some ideal out there of what good father is supposed to be. Even if you had a great father, he's not as good as God the Father. And so what he's saying is, is that God is, we are to give ourselves over. We were slaves to sin. And it's not like, so you're rescued from Egypt and you're taken out of that slavery. And now he's like, do what I say do so that you can live. You know, there's, I put before you blessings and cursings, death and life. Choose life that you might live. Follow me. Dedicate yourself to me as you would a master. Consider yourselves to be slaves to obedience, is what he says. I'm going to try to do whatever is right, whatever is good, whatever. That's what I'm going to commit. I want to be, I don't, we get, we get um, called sometimes as Calvinists, as Reformed guys and women, um, robots. You think you're just God's robot. And it's like, wouldn't it be great just to be God's robot, like a puppet that he could just make us do exactly what he wants us to do without having to go through all the trials and struggles and stuff? I mean, that's what we want as a believer is I want to do what God wants me to do. I want to be who God wants me to be. I want to be a good servant. And yet, my heart still goes, I still sin, I still do these things. Justification, you're loved, you're adopted, I got you. But you can be careful because I don't want you doing these bad things like your children. You love your children. You don't want them sticking forks in outlets because you love them. You know, you love them so you keep them from things. There's these, these barriers. And so follow, God is a good father is, is also telling us these things. So he's saying follow Christ, obey his word, not in fear of the loss of his love, but in fear of the fruit of sin that can happen. And there is a, a part for the work of the church in this. Um, not to forsake the assembly of yourselves together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more you see the day approaching. So finally, last point, life and death. As I've said in the Old Testament, he says, I set before you this day blessings and cursings, life and death. Choose life that you might live. So sin, I mean, the last verse, most people have memorized, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Wages is what you earn. Um, I remember when I worked at a stamping plant, metal stamping plant, um, you, your wages you earned, your bonus was supposed to be on top of, like you've done extra, extra good work, you're going to get the bonus. Um, but then it became, you know, I'm not going to work unless I get a bonus. You know, so it's like, so you, you want to earn every single thing you get. And if you want to do that with Christ, 
The wages of sin is death. R.C. Sproul would say, don't ask Jesus for justice. Don't cry out for justice. Cry out for mercy and grace. And that's what we get from God. The wages of sin, what it pays, as even as believers, if we sin and we give ourselves over to sin and sin becomes a master over us in different ways in different areas, that just is going to lead to corruption, away from life, away from righteousness, and in the end, its fruit is death. Now, it's also true for the non-believer. You're not even in Christ. The wages of sin is death. You're going to be, it's, it's, it's true. So don't think that sin for the believer now becomes, it, what's the word? It's, it, it's now becomes, it's neither good nor bad. It's just stuff. You just do whatever you want to do. You're under grace and under law. It's like, well, don't fall for that. My goodness. You know, we, drugs is a good example. You know, somebody's like, well, hey, I can do this drug now because I'm not under law. It's like, well, <laughs> Don't do that. You know, that wasn't what I meant. When I'm saying it's okay to sin, I wasn't saying it's okay to stick a needle in your arm. I wasn't saying that. I was just trying to say that, you know, when you fall short, he still loves you. But even if you fall so far short, fall so short as a believer that you end up down that path and you're in Christ, he still holds you fast. And if he loves you and if you're his son, if you're his daughter, he is going to do things in your life to call you back to repentance and to call you back to a life of obedience. And so that's why we have to be careful about these things, the, the, the free gift of God. You don't earn a free gift. Uh, and this is called, it's a, it's a gracious gift. It's not even a gift that has to, it's like, I set this before you, now you choose whether to take it. The gift of God is given to the believers in Christ Jesus, and that's eternal life. And so what he's saying to us is, you have this life, you have this grace, so what you do is live in it. Uh, Jesus tells a parable in Matthew 7. He says, a wise man built his house on a rock. And when the storms came, it held fast. But the foolish person built their house on sand. And then when the storms came, it was washed away and, and its fall was great. And the point he's making is, I am the rock. Christ says, I am the rock. Build your house. Build your life upon the solid rock of Christ Jesus and he will hold you fast. And then first part of chapter 6 is our baptism he talks about. You're engrafted into Christ's death, and you're engrafted into his life, and now what he does is he gives himself to us at the table, and he says, you are to be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. And he leads us in righteousness, and he follows us when we go down paths of unrighteousness, and he loves us enough to do things and bring things into our life to say, I love you too much to let you do that. Come on back. And as believers, we're also called to have that role in Christ Jesus with one another. Let's pray. Father God, you love us as believers. You paid the penalty for our sin. You give yourself to us at this table. You, you hold us fast. Help us to pursue holiness. Help us to pursue Christ-likeness. Help us to consider ourselves dead to sin, that we might live lives that are very beneficial and helpful to people around us, that, that, that are bringing life to those around us rather than adding to the chaos. Anybody can add to the chaos, Lord. We pray you would help us to, to add to the, the flourishing to add to the shalom, uh, to indeed 
do the, the number one thing we're called to do in this life, which is shine your light, pronounce the gospel, and call people to yourself and build the kingdom. So we pray that you would help us stay focused on you and these things in Christ's name we pray. Amen.